welcome to your favorite show, Nope, I'm Out, where we encourage you to throw in the towel, we inspire you to give up, and hopefully you'll be able to say, nope, I'm out, to that situation, experience, or job that's no longer serving you. I have with me here the amazing multidisciplinary creative, Natalie. How are you? I am good, and how are you? I'm good. I'm very good. It's very early right now. <laughs> I'm <screaming>. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm actually very, very we're here. good. We're here. Do you yes. know what I mean? We made it a bit, you know, off time, but we made it. You know what I mean? Um, do you want to introduce yourself? So I'm obviously Natalie, Natalie Nah. Like you said, I think I'm a multidisciplinary person or mm. creative, mm. but I think I'm only that kind of person because I like to explore. Mm. And um, in terms of now, I'm working as a creative at Bill and Dollar Boy, which mm. is a social influencer agency, whatever that means. Mm. <laughs> and then um, I'm also the co-founder of Newcomer, which is a social media platform for African creatives to connect, create, learn and earn. So there's a lot there. <laughs> there is a lot there. And before we dive into it, we're actually going to play a game. Actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we are, we are, we are. Um, do you know what's so funny? I, I was actually going to talk about Santi's album because I know we both listened to it. So that's actually what I was going to talk about. But we're going to play a very, very quick game. Cool. Because I know we both listen to um, a certain genre of music. Yeah. I will make it artists. Yeah. I'm going to pick a random letter. Okay. Um, in fact, pick a letter. S. S. Okay. Oh, interesting. So we, we're going to have to name artists beginning with S. Okay. And I'm going to time you and I'm slightly giving you an opportunity here to think about some of these things. And we will see. How much time how have long. I got? Oh, we'll just see how long you last. Oh, okay. Basically. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Three, two, one, go. Santi... Sampa. Oh, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> oh, wait, 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 wait. That's so interesting that you did it that way. It was meant to be you, then me, then oh, me, then you. She didn't say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. But I'll let you have those ones. I'll let you have those ones. Okay. Let's go again. Let's go again. Let's go again. Wait, hold on. So, wait, does that mean the first two are cancelled? No, no, no. You can use those. Okay. You can use those. You can okay. use those. It's fine. Okay, okay. Three, two, one, go. Okay, so Solange. Solange. Cisco. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. S Club 7. Oh man, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Um. Oh wow. So wow. I, I'm out. I'm done. Okay. <laughs> I was gonna say SWV. I was gonna say SWV next. That was actually. S. That wasn't good. That was pretty good. That was two. <laughs> that was pretty good. That was pretty good. To be fair, but I think if I didn't stop you in the beginning, I think you would have gone on. I might you know have. what I mean? So I interrupted you. But um, I'm actually probably excited to have this conversation because you, as you say, are very like multidisciplinary. Um, and I love speaking to people who see themselves in like many different things. But the first thing I'm going to ask is, when was the last time you said, nope, I'm out? Um, I would say mid last year. That's when I switched agencies. Mm. I've never really been in the position where I've had to actively remove myself from an organization mm. that's more or less what happened and um yeah i think i'm in a space where i don't regret it but it was still a space where i was like oh this is something i've not particularly done before mm. yeah mm. so i'd say like mid last year so you um you were at an agency and now you're no longer at, at agency yeah talk to us about what you were doing at that agency to begin with perhaps like why you even went there and then maybe we can talk later about you know what actually um changed for you to kind of make that decision yeah so 
actually context, I was working at Ogilvy mm. and the reason why I even ended up at Ogilvy in the first place, I think maybe I was maybe just for the viewers <laughs> at home, what is Ogilvy? Ogilvy is, wow, the simplest way to describe Ogilvy is like an everything agency. They do advertising, marketing, PR, consulting, production, all of the above, all under one agency. Mm. And uh, yeah, that's the easiest way to describe them. They're like this creative powerhouse of some sort, mm. not of some sort, that's what they are. Yeah, <laughs> okay, so that's where you were basically. Yeah, that's where I was. Mm. And I ended up there because when I was say maybe 12, 13, yeah, around there, like my dad and I were just talking about what I wanted to do and stuff. Mm. And I was like, oh, I really like advertising. Like I know I want to do something within that field because it felt like the most um, secure form of being creative to me at the time. Mm. And then he was like, okay, if this is what you want to do, go and read up on David Ogilvy. And he asked me to do that because um, David Ogilvy started a bit later on in his life as a copywriter, I think in his 30s, I believe. So the point of that was for two things. One, to obviously find out about advertising, but also to um, understand the fact that I'm 12. I didn't need to know mm. <laughs> what I want to do, but he just kind of wanted to have a feel mm. of that. So um, because I did that naturally, David Ogilvy became like my pillar for like understanding the context of advertising. That's amazing. So I just need to, ask, sorry, I have to stop you here. Yeah, yeah. So you're 12 and you kind of pick advertising as this, um, albeit like secure form of like what you want to do. Mm -hmm. And the person you are introduced to or introduces you to the field is the founder of the company that you eventually end up working at. Yeah. Do not find that strange at all. <laughs> no, because like it, it was just my dad saying, "Gotta read up on this guy," and like I did, and it made it made sense mm. in the moment. And I think one thing I'm really thankful for as well is like growing up, my sister and I, um, my parents always gave us the freedom to be creative. So mm. much to the extent where we're doing music lessons, art lessons, like pottery, like random shit mm. like that. And um, I think it gave my sister and I the confidence to know that if we did want to go down that path, with, which we both ended up doing, mm. we knew that at least for one thing, our parents weren't going to be a barrier. Yeah. And I'm always so grateful for that because that's a very common barrier for creatives to have. Like yeah. parents not giving you the space to like um, try or explore, or do whatever you want. Mm. I think um, my sister might actually be a better person for this because mm. she's always a bit of a space where she's quit a lot of things in a creative context. But um, yeah, that's more or less how it started. I even did like um, a little a little section on Ogilvy for my extended essay. I did IB. Wow. So for my extended essay, it was also based on advertising Ogilvy. So they've always, or he's always been um, on my mind in terms of that. And then for uni, right after I finished with that, um, I was looking for jobs and stuff. And actually, Natalie, I'm going to backtrack. So I was gonna, I was gonna <laughs> pause you anyway, and I was gonna take it back anyway because there's a lot. You know what? Let's do that right now. Yeah, yeah. So first of all, there's just a lot to even just unpacking what you're talking about. First of all, you had parents that not only it's one thing to um, stand back and let your children do what they want to do. Yeah. It's another thing to actively encourage what they're saying they want to do at twelve. Yeah. Because I think like. The um, I guess like one of the things that happens a lot like with parents and children and that kind of relationship is they kind of think mm, they might grow out of this. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So they might not encourage you. They might just let you do what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And then you get to a certain age and they're like, actually, 
You have I, to think I, yeah, of life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's actually, you know, stop the stop the games. Yeah. And then like pick something else. But in your case, you know, you have your dad who's actually telling you like, oh, actually go and look at so-and-so, mm-hmm. um, which in and of itself is like not necessarily a common thing. Yeah. Because who knows who, who David, David Ogle, yeah, yeah. who knows who that is. No, as in like not many, I don't think, um, so for, for context, where are you from? Like, uh, yes. So I'm from Ghana. Yes. So grew up in Ghana as well. Mm. So um, I was there up until uni. But then for the context on top of that as well, my parents were here as well before they moved back. Okay. So their whole idea was we kind of want you guys, by you guys to be my sister and I, to understand what's like living in London and what's like living like back home in Ghana. So we're always like coming here as well. Mm. And I think that really helped with our like cultural exposure to understanding what things like music, film and whatever look like outside of Ghana. Mm. But then also understanding what Ghanaian media also looked like. So because we're doing that bouncing, I was able to see some of the gaps that were here in the UK and some of the gaps that were like in Ghana, Mm. even before like I moved here. So that was also another important part of things. And then um, what was what was your actual question? I forget. I think that's super important, though, because I think what I was getting at was that the fact that I was surprised that your dad knew who Ogilvy was. And I think because I assumed um, that a lot of people who um, are born and bred here um, but their parents are born in perhaps like, you know, an- another country. Mm. Their parents have, have to take some time out to even kind of gotcha. understand the lay yeah. of the land and everything yeah. like that. And like knowing who famous advertisers are probably isn't on the top of the list of the things that they kind of have to yeah. tick yeah. off. And so that's why I was like, how did he even know, you know, okay. who this person I'm is? I'm with you now. So he he he's kind of in my field, but not quite. Mm. He works in consulting. Mm. So he's also all about like business, like businesses and people like, doing what they want to do and stuff Mm. so i think he's like the kind of person where as soon as he realizes that one of his kids is interested in something he always finds something in relation to that maybe send us a flipboard link i don't know who uses flipboard but Mm. he does Mm. but he would send us like links that are more or less curated to our interests Mm. so even like back then it was one of the things that he used to do because then as well he was teaching himself photography Mm. so when he started like exploring that I was more or less his like little minion doing yeah. that as well. Yeah. He got bored after like two months, but that's something that obviously stayed with me. Yeah. So um, yeah, it was through like exploring that with him that these kind of conversations conversations ended up popping up like that early in mm. my life as well. Mm. So, that's yeah. just that's just amazing because I think uh, I'm just I'm I'm glad that this is the story mm. because this is a very very unique story. Yeah. This is not um, not many people who have again, like parents who perhaps are not from here can kind of speak to, you know, their parents, even knowing what it is that they're yeah. interested in. Yeah. I can imagine, um, you know, for many people, it's like you say you're interested in advertising. It's like, what, what's that? What is that? My like, grandpa said it's useless. So I guess. Oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> so okay. that's like Some normality here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that definitely kind of um, contributed to like, you know, the path that you're on basically. Yeah. And so you kind of already researching this guy, as you said, like you're writing about this person mm-hmm. and then you end up um, at this agency and is that the agency that you're talking about that you ended up uh, quitting? Yeah. Okay so what did you do whilst you were actually there? So um, I got in there through this internship called The Pipe Mm. and it was for nine months and the beauty of that was we could explore different parts of the business and I think for the first half of it I was doing like mostly the ideation part of advertising and I enjoyed that but because all I was doing uni was like production like photography, videography, graphic design etc. I felt I was missing 
that part of things. So I started looking in different parts of the business, like where, where can I find this? And then I found the social and content team. And uh, yeah, I worked on a couple of briefs and I just started sitting in that department mm. <laughs> every day and making myself furniture. And by the end of the internship, um, when they were looking for like who would stay on and like obviously who would just like have the internship, because I had made myself so permanent in that space, it was easier mm. for me to get a full-time role there. So for a couple of years, I was there doing more or less like all the other things in production I liked, like the design, videography, photography, etc. But then I started missing the ideation thing. So I realized that it's not that I like one or the other. I want to do both. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, because I felt like, you know, when you enter somewhere as an intern, no matter what you do in that business, because people know how you came into that business, that's kind of all they see you as sometimes. Mm. And um, I was also heading up this network called Ogilvy Roots, which is a um, network dedicated to championing greater ethnic and cultural diversity within, I guess, the agency itself, like the people culture, the work that we created and um, the wider creative industry. And um, the interesting thing about that was as much as like, that's what I feel the context of um, my purpose within the creative industry is, it was almost overshadowing, not almost, it was overshadowing my actual job as a creative there. Mm. So people were thinking of Natalie as the DNI woman mm. before mm. Natalie the creative. Mm. And it wasn't allowing me to progress in my actual role. And um, yeah, this is more or less where the importance of having um, a creative director or having a boss who understands you as a person comes in. Because um, Alex, I think he, he understood where I wanted to go in life and not necessarily in the context of Ogilvy. So he knew how to suggest certain things to me. He knew when to speak to me, when to speak for me and when to leave me to fight certain battles myself. Because I think that's also something um, important uh, with being like a white ally. Because sometimes white people think they have to save the black people. Mm. And sometimes it's just a mere case of um, advising them on the certain way to go based on their knowledge of how things mm. typically work in the business. Mm. And what I liked about that was he gave me the freedom to tell him that, no, I need you to go and speak to XYZ person for me. Or it's just a conversation of, this is what I'm going through right now. I don't know how to navigate through it. Is there any way that you can suggest that I handle the situation? Yeah. So yeah, I think that that was one key element of um, the support that I had at that agency. Yeah, I'm just even going to pause you there because there's so many things involved in what you just said. Mm. The first thing that I picked up on is this like double labour that you have to do yeah. when you mm. are someone of colour like at an organisation. You have to do the kind of, if it's Women's Month, you've got to do that, you've got to figure it out. Yeah. If it's like Black History Month, okay, you've got to come up with the ideas and things yeah. like that. And it's not like that's like paid work that you get to do, you know. And it definitely has financial con uh, consequences yeah. for the company yeah. when you appear more diverse and everything. But you're not getting compensated for it. Yeah. Not that you need to, but I'm just saying it's not, this is just free work. Something that's yeah, this is done, free yeah. work. But then it's also quite taxing cognitively as well. Because it's something that's important to you. It's something that you know is important. You don't want to turn your back on your community and people exactly. that identify with you. At the same time, the work that you are getting paid to do, you now no longer have time for that. And I think that's just a super interesting thing that I realise not everybody has to kind of like um, go bear. through. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And I think that was super interesting. I think also kind of picked up on having a good like boss is like, is just super. Context is white. I, I know, oh, I know, oh, oh. I know. Yeah, because you said um, that like he um, 
he was very good at kind of like letting you kind of yeah. like, you know, have your own agency whilst you were going through things, but then also knowing when to kind of um, speak up yeah. um, as well. And I think that's just amazing because um, having somebody that also, I think the comment that you made, which is so really, in, in some ways bizarre, but like really, really powerful, that he knew the context of like, just like where you wanted to go in life in general. Yeah. Most people, because they're not, they have no incentive to do so because they're not paid to do so. Yeah. Do not care about where you want to go in life. Mm-hmm. It's more so how can you serve this organization right now? Time. Because that's what they're getting paid to do. Yeah. So to even kind of like step outside of that and say, actually, Natalie says she wants to be here, here and here. And perhaps we can line her up with these things. And perhaps at some point we may no longer serve her in that way. I think it's like very, very empowering because then you're no longer like a commodity. You're more like yeah. you. This a is person. a personal investment. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Which I thought is that's that's a, that's an amazing, amazing thing to to have. So you were saying that those are one of that's one of the experiences that you were having at the agency yeah. that kind of played um, its part in you know you eventually. Um, yeah, you, I guess that was one side of it like in terms of um me just feeling like not even not even just it being about Ogilvy in itself but being about um because I came in here in a specific context as an intern naturally to progress I have to do it outside of here even Mm -hmm. just to test if what I've learned actually works because if you're learning about something and you're also applying it in the same space sometimes you don't really know where your impact is actually being made. Mm. But then if you're duplicating that in another context, then it works and you know, okay, like you know <laughs> clearly it's adding, yeah. it's adding up to something. Yeah. So yeah, it was more or less just me also wanting to test the skills that I've learned somewhere else in um, a different sized agency mm. as well. And then the other layer was like in building newcomer as well, because it would be such an established business, I didn't want to get to a space where there's like clashes with one building and stuff like that. Mm. So I wanted to give myself the opportunity to um, move to another context where they know about what I'm building from the first day. So it's not like a surprise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, if things end up progressing with newcomer as well. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. So there's a lot, there's always a lot to unpack. <laughs> There is always a lot to unpack when you speak, but um, in the in the very first answer you gave, you were mm-hmm. saying that um, out of you came out of uni and then you were kind of figuring out like okay, like where do you want to work, and yeah. then you end up working at this place that um, unintentionally, perhaps or maybe even intentionally, you have been like gearing yourself towards anyway because yeah. you've been writing about him, you've been studying him, and so um, what interests me is like two things basically. What one to talk about first? Okay. Let's talk about this one first. So you're at Ogilvy and you end up working, I believe, on like campaigns of like Coca-Cola, um, Sprite, for example, and like kind of talk to us about like that journey um, as well. Yeah. So um, actually, before I worked at Ogilvy UK, I was working at Ogilvy Ghana. I can't even say I was working there. I was doing an internship there for a month. Mm. And in terms of how that came about back in 2016, I believe, I wanted to do that internship at Ogilvy Ghana and my Mm. dad knew someone who could help me get that internship. Mm. So I was like, okay, could you set this up for me? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And he's like, if you come to Ghana this summer, I'm canceling your Christmas ticket. Mm. And I was going through a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Like the whole whole point of going home, like socially makes more sense to go in December as opposed to like summer. So um, yeah, I was just like this first year babe going through a crisis yeah and um it got to a point where like we went back and forth on this for two months and then when he decided that okay you can come but i'm definitely canceling your ticket i was like okay i'm going to start freelancing Mm. to pay for my own christmas ticket 
and that's when I founded. <laughs> so this is all our spying. Like, I yeah. need you, I need your buddy. So yeah. that's when I started freelancing and I started Latch. And um, the whole point of Latch as well was to kind of condense everything I did under one name. Because in secondary school, like people knew me as the photographer, the people who was like designing people's um, posters for their parties and stuff. But um, they were taking all of these things and they were finding, I realized that people were finding it difficult to describe what I was or mm. what I did. Mm. So I was like, okay, just know Natalie's latch. And the latch, she does whatever the hell she wants. Yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah it worked out that way in uni. So that's when I started freelancing. And um, thankfully, he never really cancelled the ticket, but it still gave me the incentive that I needed to start my own business. Mm. And um, yeah, I actually didn't do the internship in 2016. Mm. I did it in 2018, like a couple of months after I graduated from uni. Mm. And uh, literally in the last week of that internship at Ogilvy Ghana, that's when I applied for the pipe at Ogilvy UK. Yeah. And it was a kind of thing where I was always looking for opportunities at Ogilvy UK anyway. So mm. I just always knew that internship was going to crop up at some point. Yeah. And then thankfully, um, that's what I ended up doing because every other thing I applied for i got rejected (laughs) yeah it just so happened that the one thing i wanted was what i got that's so that's that's just so interesting because when you say that like the whole like kind of idea behind latch was to almost kind of help people understand what you do like immediately i'm kind of taken back to when you said like when you were 12 that like you picked advertising because like you just thought that it's something that people would understand yeah and so like in my head there's this still kind of like thing happening at least in this point in your life where you're still trying to like help people understand yeah what it is that you do yeah um which is which is really interesting that's interesting that's very wow I've never thought about it that way but you're right like I think I've always known what I've wanted to do Mm. I just enter a particular context to make sure that other people yeah yeah (laughs) understand what I want Mm. to do because especially with like other fields like law and medicine or whatever it's very easy to describe what you do Mm -hmm. but I always feel validated in my role until I have to fill a form and it's like what's your occupation like what does what does a creative mean it Mm. sounds like games you Mm. get what I mean Mm. and uh yeah I guess it's just trying to like validate what I'm doing to encourage other people to do as well yeah because like even going back to what I was saying before not everyone has a parent who will encourage you to go into the creative industry and stuff so I'm just always trying to put myself in spaces where other people can also understand what they can do in the industry and actually do it as mm. opposed to just think of it as a theory and stuff. Yeah, I, I found that um, really interesting because I just know it's like very difficult to constantly have to translate who you are to other people. And then yeah. eventually you get to a point where you're like, actually, I'm the work will talk for itself. <laughs> yeah. And eventually you will understand like as in people now will understand yeah. who you are based off of like what you you do and i just think it's quite a i don't know it's probably functional to behave like this yeah. but to kind of have to condense ourselves into this kind of thing Mold, yeah. that people understand it's just quite strange because as human beings as in you're a whole human being as in like you have several interests yeah. like i've never yeah it's never made sense to me to kind of have to draw a thread between you know, like what people did before and what they do now. And like, it doesn't have to Be make sense. Way, yeah. yeah, it doesn't have to make sense. And I think it's one of the things you um, kind of come to learn once you like quit things again and again, you kind of just wake up and say, actually, even if no one gets why I'm moving to this thing, 
I'm, I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to try it out. You know what I mean? So I think that's super interesting. I think one of the things that like, um, just as I was just kind of like thinking about you and the kind of things that you've done as well is you studied a particular degree at university. Talk us through that experience. Okay. So sometimes I say I did my degree for decoration, mm. <laughs> but I think it was still very important for me to do that because of I study international media and communication. Mm. And um, I think it was very useful for two things. The environment of uni is what helped me really understand what skills I wanted to get into. Because um, with ACS, with me running for creative director for the African Caribbean Society, um, my campaign was almost doing other people's campaigns for them. Yeah. Because when I started taking my own pictures, designing my posters and stuff, obviously other people who were also running needed those as well. Mm. So, um, that really gave me the opportunity to test what I could do without having the pressure of like um, actual clients and stuff like that. So once I started doing that, I had like a mini portfolio to actually start doing freelancing mm. in uni. And um, yeah, I think if I hadn't gone to uni, I wouldn't have had those like soft um, opportunities to like try out things and stuff. Mm. And then the other side of it is, um, like I think we've already lightly touched on this, but people assume what media is or people assume what the media and communication yeah. world looks like without actually knowing what goes into it. Yeah. Because it feels, um, the things that feel the most obvious or the things that feel the most natural are actually the hardest things to execute. Mm. And um, that's more or less what media is. In terms of people watching a movie, they, they laugh, they cry, they go through all of these emotions, but to manufacture mm. <laughs> content that mm. actually evokes those emotions is one of the hardest things to reproduce mm. and um that's more or less what my course at uni did it helped me learn all the isms of the world like feminism racism etc and putting them into the context of the kind of narratives that we should be creating so that was the relevance of my degree but on the other side of it in terms of teaching me like the basics of photography or graphic design and stuff nothing yeah <laughs> in that category yeah. but i think everyone who does design or production of any sort should also have that context of the narrative of the narrative sorry because um yeah i just think sometimes people just create anything anyhow and hope something sticks yeah and um that's kind of how I feel about TikTok, which is so ironic because my entire job at Billion Dollar Boy is, is creating content for yeah. TikTok or Instagram, etc. But I think with the fast paced environment that it requires, naturally people tend to think less sometimes mm. of the content that they're creating. And sometimes people create content merely for the um, objective of going viral or something like that. And sometimes people do anything to go viral. Yeah. And at the end of the day, like, of course, you might get the numbers and everything, but what did you actually add yeah. <laughs> to the actual makeup of society and stuff? So, yeah, once again, I think the relevance of my degree helped me really zone in on certain things. And that actually informed some of the initiatives I took at Ogilvy as well. Mm. And obviously one I'm taking with Newcomer as well. Yeah, I, I just I find that so interesting for several reasons. So one, I'd like to say that, like, the stereotype of creatives is that they tend to explore other educational paths. Like mm -hmm. they may not even necessarily look at uni as something as that option, is necessary. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas like you're saying you've gone and you've actually learned concepts and nuances that have actually kind of um, informed, yeah, work, informed yeah. your work. And so I find that interesting first and foremost. 
um, the second thing is that, so first thing is that there was, there's room for somebody like you and like your interests like 100%. in university. I think that's like mind blowing yeah. for like for several reasons, just because as I say, I think people like to think that creatives are this thing that yeah. cannot really exist in academic spaces and they're not, they're not, as in some might say, oh yeah, they're not, they don't want to do essays or anything like that. Or these yeah. kind of strange stereotypes. It's always an added, mm. sorry, it's, it's always an added layer that's important because mm. in terms of everything else that I do, that was like self-taught, mm. but I don't think I would be able to um, have some of the opportunities I've had mm. if I didn't have the added layer of theory. Yeah. And it's also worth acknowledging that obviously not everyone has the access to that mm. extra layer of knowledge. Yeah. But wherever you have the opportunity to pick um, uni, I would always say yes mm. for that very reason. I don't think you can ever, you can ever really waste knowledge mm. because you can use it two years after you went to uni or 20 years after you went to uni, but knowledge is always applicable mm. in some sense mm. along the lines. It just depends on the context. And then you even kind of talk about how even outside of the course, just being at university gave yeah, you yeah. opportunities to build your portfolio. And yeah. these are things outside of your course mm -hmm. um, as well, which I thought like was remarkable. And then the other thing is that like, you actually studied something relevant to what like you wanted to do. Yeah. That I find mind-blowing because <laughs> usually the people that come on this show, <laughs> myself included, um, the story is that like you study something, again, because you're kind of pursuing this kind of acceptable form of yourself, basically. Yeah. And then you, you, you don't, I can't even use the word realise because deep down, as you said, you know precisely what it is you want to do, basically. Mm -hmm. Well, you may not always know, but at least you, you might be able to... Have a fair idea. Yeah, the ballpark. Like, and yeah. you know it's not what you're doing now, basically. Mm -hmm. And then you end up kind of like either trying to pursue other things outside to compensate for the fact that what you're doing now isn't what you want to do or like me just go out go all out and just like quit the degree so for, for me that was like accounting and finance which is just hilarious every time I say it to myself because it's just so not me <laughs> like and so like for you you actually studied something that really complements um what you went to do yeah which again is just kind of indicative of the fact that you knew from a very kind of early age what it is that you wanted to do, yeah. which I find very interesting. Just because like, um, I know some people find out later in life, yeah. um, they, don't, they don't know, you know, so they can't make these types of decisions basically. Mm. But then there are other people who um, I feel deep down have always known. I think everyone, Kind I, I want to say I want to say that, but I just don't want to make a, a sweeping yeah, statement. But yeah, I want to say yeah. that deep down that everybody because because like, I've, I've had friends who had like tiny interests, like, and I've always been very like observant because I find that the quieter you are, the more you're able to take in your surroundings. Mm. And there were interests that they had in primary school or like lower secondary school that they just used to do in passing. Mm. But like you would mentally take note of like, maybe this person likes to cook or this person really likes sports, but they don't really take it seriously. Mm. And then now that's the entire business. Like I, I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And it's yeah. like people, there's always a tell. I think people always have a tell, but there's like a combination of different things that in the end determine what people actually go into. For some people it might be their parents, for some people it might be financial constraints of like studying what it is that they want to do. For some people it might be the fear of failure. For some people it might be a sense of like um, security in terms of the stage of their lives that they're in. Like with newcomer right now, if I was in my thirties with like, I don't know, two kids, yeah. I don't think I would have had the flexibility to 
like experiment and explore and like throw like a ton of money at if I had like dependents and a partner and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I agree. I think um, some people have, I'd say, I don't, I don't know whether the word is burden, but baggage. Some people have the baggage of like, um, of like perhaps like older adults, for example, when yeah. they're very young, you know, yeah. like, and you can't pick the, you know, the kind of life lottery that you do get. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think it's important to kind of just acknowledge the fact that um, you kind of knew from an early age what field you wanted to go into yeah. and you just kind of pursued that. You didn't bother kind of thinking, oh, let's see what law is saying. You know what I mean? Like, let's there see. There was oh, actually a stage when my did dad you? was like, oh, do you want to do media law? I was just like, nah. Then media law? Oh, yeah, like, that's a was, whole different He was trying game. to like... Um, have the best of both worlds kind of thing but mm. my dad and I are so similar that we clash a lot like yeah. we we if if I'm set on something like your opinion that's great yeah yeah <laughs> thanks so much for that but I'm gonna do what I want to do <laughs> yeah and, that, and that's that's exactly what happened with that so I I don't even remember him really pushing with mm. that because he knew it would just be a lost cause yeah and even with um the kind of conversations we had when I was slightly younger mm. it was almost reverse psychology in a sense because mm. He and my mom kind of said, you're Naki, like my sister, you guys can do whatever you want, we'll support you. Mm. It almost made us more certain from the beginning because we knew we had that cushion regardless. Mm. So it's like, we might as well just zone in and experiment within this space. And then if we fall, at least we know, mm. like our parents, if anyone would be there to catch us kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, like I was saying earlier, that's something that I feel um it's an extension of what my purpose is extending that cushion to other people in the creative industry especially for like people both like here and on the by people i mean like black people both here and on the continent although like our struggles might be different because the context of being here is different um it all amounts to the same thing of not being um able to be as creative as one would be like Mm. here you have the barriers of like racism and everything that comes with it. But even just being a minority in the first place, like the kind of content that you create automatically almost is a mainstream from the start. Mm. You have to do more work to get your work. Um, you have to do more work to push your work out there, right? Mm. Whereas if you're living in Ghana like myself or anywhere else on the African continent, you have, as soon as you create content, it's, it's, it's black content. Yeah. <laughs> Do you get what I mean? And it's, it's, the, it's the norm. But then you have issues of, you're more likely to have issues of sexism or classism mm. on the continent and just the issues of local Africans just not being regarded as people who can create great content mm. compared to the rest of the world, including the diaspora, right? And it's also considering the nuances of what those experiences mean and what the privileges of both um, sides of being black or African is. And I think that's something that we're starting to acknowledge, but I feel we still don't acknowledge enough mm. because a lot of people fall, a lot of people here um, tend to fall into the whole diaspora savior complex when they try and yeah. do stuff with things back home. Like, surely they haven't tried this. This works in London. So yeah. It should work in Accra, but mm. that's a reason why London is called London. Accra is called Accra. Like they're they're two different places, and you some fair enough. Some solutions might apply to both spaces, but um, it's just the assumption that those back home don't know what they're doing mm. that introduces so much tension that shouldn't be there, and in the end, it ends up it ends up taking us further back than um, 
we should be going. I've gone on a tangent. But no, I, yeah. I love this. I let, let, <laughs> let's go down this rabbit hole because I love this because I've always kind of been of the belief that I think in Afrobeats, and I know this kind of, this kind of sounds even further left, but I am going somewhere. <laughs> in Afrobeats now, I feel like we've now kind of like gone past that inflection point where we like this genre can now no longer be stopped. Mm. This is now popular music now. Yeah. Not, not pop per se, but it's now popular music, this yeah. type of music now. And it's only going to get more and more uh, popular, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of wondering, at least what I suspect will happen now, is that now that music is kind of taking its space on the world stage, yeah. other forms of art as well may Gotta, use this door, you know, to yeah. kind of like for, for it to follow. Because I do think other forms of art, like perhaps, let's say, you know, food or kind of like film, they are a bit further behind. Yeah. Naturally, and na- nat- I, don't, I don't know if I can say naturally, um... Okay, yeah. I don't know whether I can say naturally, but I think I want to believe that more money has been put into music 100%. than any of those other. Like, yeah, like and mm. music. Music is more accessible as well. You mm. don't need to. You don't need to know how to speak French to appreciate a French song. Mm. You don't need to know how to speak tree to uh, appreciate a tree song. Mm. And music is very accessible in that sense. And music has also been positioned as the gateway to Africa culturally yeah. as well for that reason. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if more investments are being made into that as well. Yeah. And then like film, then tourism, like etc. Exactly. Like, that, that, that's like an entire build attached to that. And I know we said we weren't going to talk about Santi, but I feel like yeah, Santi yeah, 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 is yeah. a very good example we get there, yeah. um, of this because with with his album, right, it's it's obviously like an amazing project in itself, even even with the whole additional layers of the worlds that he's created and stuff. That's something that not every artist or album can do. But um, as much as that, as well, as much as I am acknowledging that, I know there are also some people who are also giving Santi heat because they feel he's had a certain kind of upbringing that is affording him the Privilege. freedom to do this. Yeah. yeah. Which which is fair. But then on the other side of that, like from his point of view, and I guess other people within that space, it's like, um, assuming I've had certain privileges doesn't negate the quality of my work. Mm. And I think um, in raising some of those points, it comes across as you're trying to be something you're not. Yeah. But because I'm not making Afrobeats, it doesn't mean I'm not making Nigerian music. Yeah. Because if you actually like listen to the further like sonic elements in the album, there's obvious African yeah. <laughs> influences in there. Yeah. And it's easier to just discard that and just be like, yeah, he's trying to he's trying to um, appease to um, the West or whatever. And yeah. I think it's it's a hole that a lot of creatives fall into. Because naturally, to be able to um, go into this industry, I said naturally, actually not naturally, Mm. sometimes. Mm. um, It might be because your parents might be able to afford to take that risk Mm -hmm. because um, people tend to think that the creative industry isn't lucrative or sustainable. Mm -hmm. So in order to get your kids to try that, you need to be confident in the fact that they might fail and you have to be able to financially okay. support that fail. Yeah. yeah. And you can't, you, it's, it's not the same across other industries. So I do see how people would assume certain things of other people's creative expressions based on that. But at the same time, you can't like put a blanket over everyone and mm. assume that it's the same. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, I agree. And I think like, 
because I was uh, I was in the thick of that discussion, you know, of like Santi's album and you know what people were saying and certain radio stations and whatnot. And so I what I thought was super interesting is that when people because this is actually very very relevant to what we're discussing now, like mm-hmm. African art and the perception and everything like that. Um, when people talk about privileged African artists, um, I do see the alternative music scene get a lot of like uh, acknowledgement, yeah. but. Our lovely beloved Davido, who had his concert here just moments ago, is not. We don't speak about that person, and that's yeah. somebody with a very. He's from an extremely wealthy yeah. background. Yeah. Like this thirty yeah. BG thing is not a joke. It's not a joke. It's not a joke. The money's there. money's there. So do you get what I mean? And so, and we see people like, and that's why I think Davido is very important culturally. Yeah. Because like it now, we're able to see basically. It's so funny how we're. I don't know how we've gotten here. That's <laughs> actually super. <laughs> because he, he lived in the states as well so mm. he does he does actually have that dual mm. like um lifestyle mm. but i think because when he's acknowledging his african side mm. he, he does he does it in a way that um people find it easier to relate in a to. familiar way yeah exactly yeah. so yeah. people don't really give give him a lot of heat for that yeah but for all the people in the alternative music scene because they might not necessarily express their african side in the way that people would typically expect them to people tend to reject what they either don't understand or they just feel they don't think it's african yeah because it doesn't exactly sound familiar exactly yeah. so yeah, yeah it's, it's it's a weird one and i think it's super it's, i think it's super relevant because we're talking about creatives and we're talking about perceptions and we were literally just speaking about how you kind of had to translate yourself to other people yeah and we've already seen what happens when people do that in in the music world basically we've seen that you know with with certain artists and so hopefully like those of us that are in now like different forms of art whether it's film whether it's food whatever it is Mm. we can kind of look at those kind of lessons and say actually yeah i I don't have to do that yeah Yeah. i don't have to do that you know which is super interesting because that's exactly what you were saying at ogilvy when you're like okay i don't i don't have to do this yeah you know like as in i don't have to do this i can go and do my own thing basically and so it's just interesting that we're seeing it on like an industry scale but also like personally even in your life you're kind of realizing that actually i don't have to be this type of person and even at work when we were talking about you know the double labor type of thing you you just you kind of realize actually you don't have to be this like person that has to shoulder all of the diversity burden you don't have to be that kind of black person so i think it's something that creatives just kind of have to deal with um over and over again so yeah that I find super, super interesting. So you quit this job now yeah. um, and then you start Newcomer. Yeah. Talk to us about Newcomer. Cool. So Newcomer, once again, I think it's also another thing that I've always known I would end up doing. Mm. So Nigel, my co-founder and I, you know Nigel. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. Shout out, <laughs> Nigel. So um, we went to the same high school, SOS in Ghana. And actually, um, to explain why that high school was important. So the whole the whole thing about SOS is you have people from literally all over the continent coming to SOS we're in Ghana, by the way. So you have people from Nigeria, Kenya, South Africa, like literally all over the continent in this boarding school for four years. So we're not just learning about the Pan-African theory. We're living this theory mm. in a bubble. Mm. And like um, our motto was knowledge in the service of Africa. And it's something we just used to like sing during school and stuff. But you, you imbibe that ideology in a lot of ways. And um, yeah, I think within that, no, I think within that time period, Nigel had done a course at, uh, Nigel, N- wow, I can't speak. No worries, no worries. Let's, let's start Nigel, 
Nigel had done a course at the London School of Photography and um, I think I had done um, one the following year and he joined for IB so actually context it's in it's for four years but for IG IG is the international equivalent of GCSEs and then obviously IB is IB so Nigel joined in IB and I remember um, I'd already known Nigel but when he was coming I was like oh there's another guy who's also really into photography, et cetera. So got to steal my shine. Yeah, kind of thing. yeah. But then he mm. comes and like, it naturally like dissolves and stuff because it, it wasn't a competition. We actually rather took to each other because we could relate to a lot of similar things. And um, because we had both done the course at the London School of Photography, we realized that there's not, if, if I wanted to do that same course in Accra, like in Ghana, like I can't, because there aren't a lot of um, spaces or organizations that focus on stuff like that for creatives on a wide scale. Mm. So we already started talking about like trying to set up similar workshops for people in Ghana and across the continent and stuff like that. And just fixing the structures or building the structures that are required to help creatives be more creative, but then also connect opportunities to whatever they've decided to get into. Yeah. So yeah, this will conversations that started in high school so this was like um like 2012 etc and then um 2017 when Nigel and I are both in uni same uni obviously you know yeah we all went to the same we all went to the same university (laughs) yeah so um we started working on a project in 2017 called the cool kids project Mm. and the reason we started this project for two reasons one we had a natural detachment from the creative scene back home in Ghana because we had moved here to the UK And um, the other side of it was we realized that for people just coming up in the industry, they can be super amazing, super talented at what they're doing. Mm. But then people don't really respect what they're doing until they've gotten some sort of international recognition and stuff like that. And it's like, but they've been great from the start. (laughs) So why did you acknowledge them from the start? So, uh, yeah, we um, for the first edition of that project, we featured... Um, La Mem Gang, Benoit mm. Pantan Rain, uh, Denzel, and then this guy called Bishville. He's a chef now. And um, yeah, the whole point of that was to mark them up on like popular magazine covers like The Fader, Forbes, etc., to show that these people have just started in their industries. We've marked them up on these covers. Do they look out of place on these covers? I don't think so. Mm. So the, the whole point of that creative direction was to show that these people can actually assume these spaces and you should be acknowledging them from now. And it was super interesting that we did that because for some of the fake um, mock-ups that we did, some of them actually realized those um, features wow. in two or three years. Wow. So it was really validating for them, but also validating for us that we were able to see that in them. And um, we did a second edition of that. That was more of like a documentary approach. So instead of just mocking them up on magazine covers, we interviewed them to talk through their processes, their challenges and everything that sat on top of that. This was on YouTube, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. Through, through doing that, everyone's problems were the same and we related to those problems as well. And we wanted to build on top of that and not just interview people in Ghana, but then people across um, the continent. And we realized that, how do we find the Darko Vibes equivalent in South Africa? How do we find um, the Binawa equivalent in Kenya? And um, Obviously, Instagram can only do so much. Um, Twitter can only do so much in connecting these people. You have to be in these spaces to know. On the ground. Yeah, to know who, who, is, who is coming up and who is doing what. So we're like, okay, we're struggling. 
<laughs> so instead of um, focusing on finding people for this third edition, we decided to build a platform that addressed a problem that we had, mm. which was finding African creatives, but then also giving them the spaces to um, develop their crafts and then obviously find jobs that sat on top of that. So that was more or less our personal rationale for starting Newcomer. But from the wider scale on top of that, um, if you look at <laughs> if you look at how many young people are in Africa in the next ten years, we're going to be the most. Yeah, we're going to be the youngest population like on earth, and most of these people are creative, and most people generally across the globe are hiring from the creative industry the most right now. Mm -hmm. Especially if you look at how things have changed over the course of the pandemic, remote working, brands, startups, especially having to push. Um, even further with branding and creativity to ensure that they're standing out from everyone else. Yeah. Like creativity is just a commodity now that just wasn't the it's, case it's, it's before. It's a necessity now. Yeah, I mean, we're yeah. seeing brands that sell shoes go into content creation. I mean, I think 100%. That's, that's kind of like all we need to say. <laughs> you know what I mean? Shout out to you guys as well. But like, that's just the state of affairs now. Like yeah. you, we are, we live online. Yeah. That's where we live. Do you get what I mean? 100%. And so we have to speak to these people that are online. But yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, of course that, that that's happening on a global scale. But once again, like when people say, oh, we're working on this global campaign for a brand, it's usually UK, US, some part of Asia, mm. some part of Europe, maybe South Africa, maybe mm. Nigeria, and then they call it a day. And we're usually lucky if we get Nigeria or South Africa in these global campaigns. Yeah. And um, our whole point is, like, why don't you actually work on actual global campaigns? But then we also acknowledge that sometimes finding the talent, like we also went through, was difficult. Or sometimes you find the talent and because... Um, certain things are being worked to a specific context. The expectations might not necessarily be aligned. And um, obviously with the typical parental constraints and stuff like that, you have people who might be transitioning from other industries or might not have had any formal background in the creative industry, or even people even knowing that they can be in the creative industry in the first place. Like a lot of people don't know that they can draw and that's your job. <laughs> your mm. job is to draw. Mm. Like people think that sounds crazy, but that's been someone's job for 30 years and they're making like big bank mm. out of that. So it's about gathering all of these insights and creating an ecosystem for um, African creatives to thrive. But yeah, yeah in, in and of itself, it's um, currently existing as a social media platform, but our aims for newcomer are so much bigger than the mm. site itself. The site is a channel, but it's not the product mm. if that makes sense yeah i'm yeah. i'm I'm super interested in newcomer for several reasons but like i think the biggest reason is that as a nigerian i'm acutely aware that when we do get like kind of like acknowledgement on the continent it's us yeah we that, that's where we Big that's where they come to yeah stuff. exactly yeah <laughs> that's where they come to do you get what i mean yeah and then now you know and and they also go to ghana before anybody starts firing me in the comments you know what i mean <laughs> it's most of the time it's west africa yeah maybe south africa not even southern africa no yeah south africa yeah. the country and so i think for for me it's like when i kind of came across it and you know spoke to you about it on, in the earlier days it's just kind of this opportunity to actually highlight like creators from like other parts of the continent is super super important not even because of like oh let's have like other just for the sake of it or anything yeah but new stories there are going to yeah. be different types of stories you know even what I mean? already we can see that the story the african stories are mm. becoming like samey mm. already mm. and it's, it's really interesting that you say that because if you think about once again throwing in the dashboard as well if you think about the 
um, media hierarchy of like influence and stuff is usually African-Americans, people across the diaspora, people on the continent, West Africa, and then you start and going, Lagos and Lagos. No, not even like, not even like. You know what I mean? There are other states exactly. in Nigeria, but exactly. it's Lagos that they go exactly. To, and then you I mean? go, you go even further to like not like you literally just said not Southern Africa, like South Africa, mm. and then Kenya, and then like everyone else. And even the fact that I'm saying everyone else, is yeah, 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 yeah. And <laughs> everyone else we're talking about are like as in fifty like, other <laughs> countries. You're talking about loads of other countries. Fifty other Morocco's countries in there. Do you, you get what know, I mean? It's crazy mm. and like um. I think it's only now that people are realizing that, like, oh, there's this more, this more to the African story than the stories of like four countries. Mm. And um, if you if you if if you look at some of the reasons why, it's even like um, linguistic barriers. Linguistic is that the right word to use? Yeah, as in people are just speaking different mm-hmm. languages, mm-hmm. and not what. just not just even the language, but even exactly the even how demeanor. even how it's spoken, like the tone and stuff like that. Because naturally, like um, the UK, US, they're Anglophone, like they're English speaking. Mm. So the countries that are English speaking are more likely to thrive at these like media hubs, mm. and I think that's more or less what has taken over the narrative in a lot of ways mm. and um yeah i think once once people start to actively acknowledge those kind of barriers and make content more accessible for everyone else i think things things would um be a bit easier but i think so many things need to happen on a cultural and societal level mm. for um even what we're building at newcomer to be as impactful as it should be because if you look at things like literary li- literacy rates if you look at even electricity, mm. cost of data, like mm. stuff like that will all affect someone's use of newcomer. Yeah. And until some of those things are addressed, what we're building will still only be accessible to a certain um, pocket of people. Mm. So that's why from the very beginning, we've been saying the site is a channel, but it's not the full product. Yeah. A lot of offline stuff needs to happen as well. Yeah. To like tap into all of these other spaces mm. that also deserve to have the freedom to be creative. Yeah. And I and I, I really like that because um there are barriers, structural barriers, yeah. like as to why this isn't you know, this this isn't the case just because. Like there 100%. are you know, yeah, there are structural yeah. barriers as to why, you know, we're not hearing st- certain stories. But again, my hope is that as like music as an art form has now is now you know taking you know that center stage like that other art forms now use opportunities i'm already seeing it i know um where it comes to film for example i can mm. i think i can i can really only speak for nollywood yeah. and certain um shows so like series in like south africa and like kenya specifically yeah they are getting like more noticeable 100%. of course we've seen like blood and water for example oh, so yeah yeah yeah, 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 water, yeah exactly exactly like doing absolute numbers now we're seeing them get like international recognition and everything um i think we are still at that stage where and things can happen concurrently but as you say you kind of spoke about the importance of international recognition in the past and the problems that that leads to as yeah. well and so even with newcomer like I'm really hoping that, you know, like there is some sort of recognition element that can come from that as well in a sense of like that what we don't want to happen is, you know, again, like music, we pass that inflection point and internationally that we're regarding all this kind of good stuff. But then we still kind of seek that, you know, kind of like validation from them when we don't need to. Yeah. So um, I just feel like platforms like Newcomer are important, like for that journey um, Mm -hmm. as well. And so that's just like super, super, super interesting. 
um, to me. Yeah, that's just super, super interesting. Yeah. Um, the other thing that became apparent to me as well is you did actually study this uh, business uh, entrepreneurship course at Harvard um, as well. And now you're actually, you know, running your own company with your co-founder as well. I'm seeing like just a lot of dots basically <laughs> between, you know, things you did in your earlier days and the things that you're doing now. But I'd love for you particularly like as somebody that sees themselves as a multidisciplinary creative to speak on the impacts that like perhaps like studying business had yeah. um, as well. Because I think one of the biggest tropes right now and probably forever has always been creatives getting absolutely fleeced like yeah. for like their work. Like, the other day, I won't name the artist, but I think it's public kind of knowledge now. There is an artist actually from Ghana actually mm. that his, his deal allegedly is $86 a month. That's how much his, his music deal is. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's a real deal. It's real. That's a real deal, and that's and he's a phenomenal artist that's now getting international recognition. But talk to us what about the importance. What kind of deal is that? Yeah, yeah, I know. It sounds like a phone contact. You know yeah, I mean? yeah. But talk to us about the importance of you know doing that work. Okay, so um, I'll go off a tiny tangent to answer this Please, question. Please tangent us. <laughs> tangent. So um, in terms of how I ended up in that Harvard course, it's mm. actually off the back of another Flipboard link from my dad. Mm. And he was like, I've seen this. Are you interested? I'm like, are you going to help me pay for it? He's mm. like, sure. So once again, like, and, and I say all of these things intentionally, just so people are aware of how it can be or how it should be. Mm. I don't want to use the word should, because obviously mm. everyone and what they want to do. But for me, having having that cushion, once again, having that freedom, having that financial support from my parents to explore and build on my skill sets is something that has always added up to, ironically, me fighting to be more independent for myself and what I'm building. Mm. And um, yeah, I think that the relevance of that course as well was um, contextualizing what I did creatively in a business context. And that's also another reason why my dad wanted me to do it. Because like you said, everyone assumes that being creative is just doing a lot of things and hoping something sticks. But then to introduce structure and to introduce a formality. Like to a what, method to the madness. Almost, 100%. Yeah, yeah that, that was his rationale behind me wanting to do that. And actually for my mom as well, in terms of how she influenced my um, career choice, it was also through seeing her doing things for herself as well. Mm. So for context, she's um, she, she runs a gym, right? So because she was doing that, she had the flexibility to also be a mom. Mm. And growing up, having my mom be a business owner, but feel like someone who was always home yeah. was something that I always wanted. And going into the creative industry, I felt like I would have that flexibility as well. Ironically, I, I work stupid hours. Yeah, yeah. But like, I also know eventually when I get to a stage where like I have kids, etc. Like, I would also want to have that fle um, that flexibility. And emotional intelligence is something that is like super important, but a lot of people don't realize it's as important as it is. That and having people skills, mm. and that's something I get from my mom as well. Actually, my dad as well, actually. And, um, but especially for her, her being able to read people and understand people and having certain emotional cues has really influenced my um, decision to go on certain paths and to have certain levels of empathy for creatives and wanting to build certain structures for other creatives. Because I easily could have been that person where I have all of these like connections from my parents or my parents are helping me do XYZ or not even just my parents, like people in general are helping me do XYZ things or I've gotten certain opportunities at Ogilvy where I'm keeping this for myself. I'm going to 
go through the door and shut it behind me kind of thing. Mm. I easily could have been that mm. kind of person. But it's through having those like um, additional layers of the importance of seeing yourself and others and seeing how they could reflect what you're already building for yourself and just helping them get to a stage where they have everything that they need to do so is something that I feel I got from my mom and mm. is something that I think more people should have. However, I also don't think it's everyone's responsibility to build everyone up because you should still put yourself first. So it's, it's like, um, you know, on the plane when they're going through the Yeah, and they say checks. you should put your own oxygen mask on first. Exactly. Yeah. I believe in that 100% because if you don't really know what you're doing, you aren't really building yourself, how can you then translate that to other people or transfer whatever you've gotten to other people mm. so yeah i think it's just finding the right balance but i also don't think everyone has to do that per se yeah it's a personal choice yeah i think what i love about what you're saying is that you acknowledge the connections that you've had in your life and the result of that is you build this platform for people to have connections like as in like i think that's just like amazing because as you say you didn't have to you didn't have to um you, there are several other things that you could have done with your time, as you say. You could have just said, you know what, like, I've got these, let's keep them for myself. You could have had this kind of scarcity mindset, like, oh, you know, this might run out, for example, if yeah. I kind of, you know, give this opportunity to other people. But then you build a whole platform where these creatives can get, you know, um, the connections that they need. And I think it's important to, um, for me, it's, I'm, I'm really, um, I get really excited, actually, when I speak to people who've had, like, different upbringings like as in like probably contrary to the stereotype mm. particularly when it comes to black people because um everybody wants to have this like you know prosperous life where they can kind of like afford their children the types of things that you're talking about but for some reason funny enough like when we're talking about david and santi when you're presented with those people face to face you have something to say <laughs> about the legitimacy like, of their work like of their you know of suffering. their person we don't we don't have to glorify suffering mm. and i think that's that's probably what leads to the tensions that we have with Santi and everyone else who's mm. kind of like him and um it's sometimes it's a bit frustrating but then I also check myself for that frustration because um it's even like in secondary school and stuff maybe um your particular year group had to I don't know write five tests a week or something and then for the next year group they decide okay we acknowledge that that was a bit much you guys should write just two and then obviously the year above starts treating the year below them mm. a certain kind of way because it's like you guys didn't go through what we went through to get here kind of thing mm. and people tend to be resentful towards people who have had it easier mm. but i can also understand the people who get frustrated because it's like i went through it's almost like i went through that for nothing yeah like or why 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 am i in this space or why did i have to fight this hard or go through all of these barriers to get what someone has gotten in like two steps so mm. i see that side as well but it doesn't have to be that way at yeah. the same time. So yeah. it's just a balance of both. Yeah. And again, I just don't even think it's, again, I don't think it's productive because if you want that for your children and then you meet somebody's child who's in that position, surely, I mean, if anything, you should be asking them all sorts of questions because this yeah. is, you need to prepare yourself because for then what then it is. Because at least you know it's possible. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And so I find it, um, I find it inspiring. And I think as long as you're not doing the whole, we've all got the same 24 hours thing, <laughs> then... <laughs> <laughs> I think it should be perfectly fine. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, I guess on, just to kind of like on a, on a final note, like what kind of um, what kind of advice would you give um, to I guess two kinds of people? Mm. One to the kind of person that comes from 
the kind of background that you're talking about, perhaps they didn't go through, you know, the absolute trenches and with like the basic necessities in life. Mm-hmm. Of course, don't get me wrong. Um, people still go through things that are inconvenient. Please. Yeah. I'm not, regardless yeah. of where it is they come from, yeah. people still go through things that are inconvenient. People still go through things that, that they'd rather not, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But there obviously is a difference between that and like abject poverty, for example. 100%. And so um, what would you kind of say to the people that come from perhaps a slightly more privileged background who do have the connections, who may either um, in kind of rebellion to that life try and kind of cosplay as somebody who who you know doesn't come from that background and we yeah. see that sometimes which yeah. is just kind of weird like, what are you doing you're not from there <laughs> you know what i mean you don't speak like that yeah let's you know let's kind of tone it down a bit what kind of advice would you give to that kind of person mm-hmm. you know um but then also you know just what advice would you give to the people that you know you're helping ultimately yeah um and you're assisting ultimately uh, in like kind of na- navigating these creative um spaces um, what I'd say to the third group of people is acknowledge said privilege. I think privilege isn't privilege isn't a bad thing. Everyone wants privilege. Everyone wants a leg up, right? But I think the problem comes when people don't acknowledge it or they pretend like they don't have it. Mm. And um, yeah, I find that in acknowledging privilege, it helps you understand one how you got to certain certain spaces, how to take advantage of the spaces you're in, and also, once again, how to duplicate that privilege for other people who don't necessarily have the same access. And um, on that last point, like I said before, it's not something that everyone has to do, but obviously you don't you don't lose by giving. I Well, I personally don't believe like you lose by giving. And um, there was one point you said about um, things not running out, like the opportunities yeah, will not run out. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. as much as we like to think like, a very quick example is like there can only be one black female rapper kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. Like the and there can be more than one, I promise. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know? And I find that every time like I extend something to someone, like it eventually mm. comes back. Mm. It always comes back. So acknowledging your privilege is one thing I would say. And then for everyone else is um having having the mindsets to know when to take a risk Mm. and when to just stay put because um once again like considering all the other factors that might affect where you are in life you might take a selfish decision and then all those other factors end up crumbling down because you have decided to take things for yourself Mm. of course for some people it works out but then for some other people especially if you don't have the privilege to fall back on certain things like quick example is maybe um a story of someone um leaving their law degree to pursue something creative Mm. if it's against the will of your parents if whatever creative venture you've gone into doesn't fare well because you've already (laughs) gone Mm. against your parents they might not be as willing to help and although on the parents part that shouldn't be something that they should do it's up to you to figure out what you would do in the reality of that situation always Mm. have a plan you know you don't always have to have something like set in stone like for me like i think throughout this conversation it's been i've always known what i've wanted to do roughly but Mm. in terms of how to get there like i'm open i'm open to the journey Mm. and i think that's a that's a very important thing being open to the journey but having a fair sense of like what your final destination is yeah but uh yeah i think for some people um, sometimes tunnel vision is great, but with tunnel vision, you lose sight of all the other mm. opportunities or um, explorations or ideas that you might have um, experienced in the absence of 
being open to that. So yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's amazing. And I think like even on your point, just about um, you know, like if you are in the example that you gave, studying law, and then you kind of leave it to do this creative thing. The thing I love about like just like creativity is that like there are several things you can do to yep. test what you are talking about. Yep. You do not need to just make the jump immediately, you know. And I wouldn't yeah. even advise anybody. I wouldn't if I wouldn't advise anybody to quit something if they want to do X, yeah, and they've never ever even yeah. done anything remotely, waters. you know, X <laughs> related. Yeah. Do you get what I mean? It's like, how do you even know? Do you get what yeah. I mean? Like, and I'm not saying sometimes don't um not to be not to be mistaken with like sometimes whatever it is you're doing now is so bad that you just know you don't want to do this. Yeah. Fair enough. You just leave. want to take time to explore yeah. something. That's yeah. fine. Leave. Yeah. Fair enough. But I'm saying if it's the case that you want to leave to do something else and you haven't even like explored it or done anything actionable with it um and i think the, not the reason i was gonna say excuse but the reason people always give is that like oh i need to leave to do x no no no, no, no not necessarily can, like as in like, i think there know, are like forms of it that you can execute yeah like on that may not be as grand as you kind of like you know envision but let's see how those go you know and if those go like well or perhaps like you know you enjoy it then at least you have more kind of like you're more confident in making the decision as opposed to... I'm so glad you've said that. I'm so you know, sorry for cutting you off. Especially no, no now in the creative industry, you don't... 10... Let's take let's take 2004. Mm. If I wanted to become a filmmaker in 2004, mm. that shit is not cheap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. but now I can experiment on my phone. Mm-hmm. I can I can have certain, like, ex- a certain level of experimentation with, like, storytelling and stuff like that with... Even with Adobe Creative Suite, yeah. that wasn't accessible until like 2013, yeah. right? Well, accessible to everyone until like 2013. And um, it's the fluidity that, that comes with that gives people the freedom to explore before they jump into it fully. Even apps on your phone mm. can help you like edit and stuff like that or photography or whatever it is that... Mm you want to do and also just being open to like other possibilities like this year I decided I want to go to PR mm. <laughs> and I've never done PR before but through um having to do it for newcomer and stuff I've realized that okay it's something I can see myself eventually doing mm. so that has been my like additional layer for 2022 mm. I'm using one of my friends as a guinea pig if it works out fine if it doesn't fine mm. because i have other things that i'm working on yeah so once again always having a plan always having a fallback so yeah it's good to amazing that. amazing well where can we find you where can we find newcomer you know where should we be looking cool so for me um insta twitter etc um at natalie n-a-t-a-l-i-i-e underscore n and then for newcomer, um, N-E-W.C-O-M-A on Instagram, N-E-W underscore C-O-M-A on Twitter, and then newcomer.com. Amazing. Amazing. And I think I'll do the honours. <laughs> Thanks very much. <laughs> oh, that was, that was really good. That was really, really good.